Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. You have Grace and Clara in your ears. And today we are joined by our new eight-week program expert, Brooke Schiller. But before we dive into the chat with Brooke, Clara, there has been something on my mind probably for the last few months. Have you heard of the term friendship dip? No, it's an interesting term though. I think it's something I can relate to. Explain it a little bit more. So I've been looking up about it because I've had this feeling I've done a lot of moving in the last couple of years and I've met a lot of people Mm. and I've tried to keep friendships going but friends have had babies, they've got married, they've travelled, they've divorced Mm. and we're all at different life stages. So a friendship dip is where you hit certain points in your life where you feel like there's no one around and you're at a point in your life but your five closest friends are not there. So then you have a dip in friendship and then you might go to this next stage in your life where you have a kid, you meet a new partner, you go overseas, you buy a house, something happens and then you have another dip and you're like, where's my, where's my people? Now I've recently bought a house and moved back to my home Mm -hmm. and in my head, I thought that life would just slot back into how it was before I left. I truly believe that and I have Mm -hmm. come back And I feel like I'm going into a friendship dip because the friendships are different. Everyone's gone through big life phases. I've gone through what I think is a very emotional life phase. I was very lonely when I lived out rural. And I am now in this dip and I'm like, how do I get out of it? And what do I do? Have you ever experienced a dip? Yeah, so I have. And it's exactly that. I think there's quite a few friendship dips that you go through in life. Um, And they're actually quite, I don't want to use the word soul destroying. (laughs) I would. Yeah, no, they do. They emotionally, they take such a big toll on you. I don't think people really realise how much it does. And you certainly don't when you're probably not the one on the receiving end of it. So And I'll be honest, if I look at when friendship dips have happened, there's definitely times that I'm the one that's dipped out and there's times that they've dipped out. So, you know, very similar to what you said, you were living a very remote rural life for however long and they've probably come to just not rely on you. Like you Mm -hmm. weren't around for that period of time so they've moved their lives on. Now you wouldn't have noticed that as much because obviously you were the one you were up there and it wasn't through I guess a fault of your own but you were up there on your own you know doing other things having to live a different life for that amount of time and as you said major life changes happen where I found friendship dips happen the most I think is really when you start I think having children um, and buying Mm. houses so buying houses is a big one just generally because of people are no longer within a 
instant vicinity of you. Like I, you know, you yep. have your circle of friends and they tend to live within a certain area and it's really easy and you catch up all the time. The pub, you know, is within 15 minutes of everyone's house or whatever it is. So there's a locality around that. The second one I think is when people have kids and you go through different stages. So they tend to then become so involved in what the kid is doing and, you know, and the kid's stage of life. So realistically, you know, even one, two, you're, you're okay. You can kind of fit the child into your lifestyle. Um, but when they start going, you know, three, four, five, they get their own kid, their own friends, they're going to preschool, they're doing all different things and they've got their own friends. And so the mum is then chasing after the child and doing a lot of stuff for the child. And it can be really difficult if you're not in that stage of life. So I definitely have noticed it many times in my life. And it's, it's, it's really, it's a difficult one to go through. I feel like now I'm going through another friendship kind of dip in a way. I think it's been an easier transition for me because it's been a long time coming. So a lot of my friends have kids in different age brackets. So I've got friends that have kids, you know, in their pre-teens now about to go into high school. I've got friends who have kids that have just started school and then there's me on the back end. So we're in totally different phases. I've also moved away from them into a totally different area and they all still live 15 minutes away from each other. So there's a bit of that that's gone. It's been a long process. So we have to make an effort to see each other and we probably realistically see each other as a group maybe once every six months, but we're always on group chat. And that's kind of how we dip in and dip out and we'll see each other you know, individually, majorly, maybe, maybe occasionally throughout that process. But that means that I'm at a loss for connection with my with friends on a weekly or a monthly basis, right? You can't have friends that you just see every six months. So I have to make friends now. And I was that girl at my um, at my mother's group desperately trying to find a friend. <laughs> Oh my someone God, that's who me. was around my age group. Yeah, someone around my age group who I could relate to that had a child around the same age. Like I was desperate. I didn't find anyone. <laughs> I didn't find my peeps. I marked one. I thought she looked amazing. I thought she looked great. But then I started working and I just never really saw them all that often. Oh. <laughs> so I had one email. I came, I came home and I was like, John, I found my person. I was like, I oh found my the person. And then I just never really saw them again. This happened to me last week. Okay, so I've got a story for you. I went to yoga because yeah. my partner Christian was like, the only way you're mm. going to find people that are like-minded, share your values, interested in health and well-being is going to do those activities. And I was like rolling my eyes like, yeah, yeah, whatever, what would you know? You're a guy, you just go to the pub and you're fine. Went to yoga and sat down and I haven't never really ever done yoga before and I looked like a baby giraffe, really wobbly and clumsy. And this girl was like smiling <laughs> at me and I was like, Oh my God, this is like dating and I'm going to put my moves on and I'm going to get this girl's number by the end of the class. So we're having a chat, found out she studied nutrition, walked out and I, so awkward, I waited out the front of the yoga class so I could jump and talk to her. And I I know I'm so creepy. I'm so creepy. 
Anyway, ended up getting a number. I love that and for you, Grace. <laughs> yeah. On Sunday. <laughs> you got we, a digits. We got a digits. I went and I went home to my partner and I was like, I got a girl's number. Yes, this is fantastic. So happy. And we organized to do another class together and then get a coffee afterwards. Long yep. story short, we spent like yep. six hours together on Sunday and she is the greatest Ooh. human I've ever met. I feel like oh, meeting a friend so is like good. dating. Oh, it is. And look, I think this is something that we've we talk about in our group quite often. And it's really difficult. You've got to put yourselves out there at this age. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. Our gut's influence extends across the entire body, impacting everything from skin health to hormone balance. When signs of an imbalanced gut emerge, the question arises, where should the healing process begin? Today, we're joined by our new eight-week program expert, Brooke Schiller. In this chat, we unravel the initial steps for resetting and healing the gut. Brooke, a naturopath and clinical nutritionist, brings a wealth of knowledge and passion for digestive health to the conversation. Specialising in conditions like reflux, bloating, IBS and more, she takes a holistic approach, recognising the intricate connection between the gut health and various conditions, including skin issues, stress, mood disorders and hormone imbalances. Brooke's evidence-based approach, fueled by her personal health journey, emphasises her dedication to guiding others towards optimal well-being. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we always ask our guests one question, which is what led you to your career and what was that catalyst, like light bulb moment for you? Thanks so much, Clara and Grace, for having me on. Light bulb moment. I love that question. I suppose my journey was twofold. First of all, my background is in finance. Um, so I have a really analytical problem-solving type of brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was super unsatisfied in my career. And it sounds wildly cliche, but I just knew that there was something else that I was meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, as so many people, I had my own health issues. So I was struggling with fatigue, digestive issues and skin problems. And I had quite severe eczema as a baby. Um, so I just remember seeing a GP at one point being so out of touch with my body. And that was my probably my pivotal moment. I, I was drinking a lot and eating quite poorly and I just didn't correlate that what I was actually putting in was impacting how I was feeling on the outside. Um, so it wasn't long after that experience that I moved to Sydney and the health industry is so vibrant there. And I found out that nutrition and naturopathy were things that you could study and um, I was hooked. So that was probably how I got to where I am today. Really interesting. There's a couple of things there that you said that I think resonate with everyone, which is a lot of people don't realise, and and it also depends on age group, right? (laughs) So a lot of people don't realise how much they're drinking and what they're eating is really kind of affecting their skin. So how did you start to unpack all of that and find something that worked for you? 
Yeah, it was a, a quite a long journey, to be honest. I think the first moment I actually fully recognised that my mm. digestion was abnormal was when I was sitting in nutrition class and we were talking about what regular bowel patterns were. And that was a bit of a shock for me as a mature age student, 29 years old, back studying, to hear that my bowels weren't normal. And because I just think it's not something that used to be talked about, you know, people, people never really talked about their bowel motions. And so you just put up with yours because you think that it's normal. Um, so that was a really big turning point for me. And that's probably when I started experimenting with a whole lot of different diets um, and natural skincare products to try and resolve my skin. But ultimately, what healed my skin was certainly digestion. Once I got that right, everything else sort of flowed on from there. And when you say your skin, was it eczema, acne? What was it? Yeah, I had eczema, but also I would get um, acne and random rashes. So at pretty much all points of my life, up until my 30s, I'd say, I would have sporadic spots of acne on my face. Um, and it was, it was super frustrating because I thought I was eating well, I was doing all of these things. And I was an adult and I was still getting acne. Um, but once I got my digestion sorted and I found a skincare brand that worked for me, that was just super gentle, then everything else really um, fell into place. This is really resonating with me. And sorry if this is TMI, but I am constantly mm. battling acne. And this week is so bizarre. I'm getting eczema around my eyes, which has never happened and I'm just like, why is this happening to me? Like, does that, should I look into digestion or is skin, skin irritations and digestion not always linked? I would 100% look into digestion in that scenario. But also eczema around the eyes can often pop up when people are stressed. So I'm not sure if you're experiencing um, more stress than normal at the moment. <laughs> it's kind of prolonged yeah. stress. It's I feel like I've had stress over the few months and now my body's like catching up to my how I've been feeling. Yeah, and it always does. It always does. So it's about coming back to those basics, I think. But definitely if you're someone who experiences eczema regularly, I, I would check in on your digestion as well. Yeah. So around digestive health, you mentioned their regular bowel movements. And I think mm. a lot of people are totally unaware, exactly to your point, totally unaware what a regular bowel movement is. So what is regular or what is normal, I guess, and what is abnormal and what should you be looking out for? Yeah, great question. I'm of the firm belief that we should be passing a bowel motion every single day. So the yep. research suggests that they call it transit time. So transit time is basically how long it takes from food to go from your mouth to be passed into your stool. The ideal mm. transit time is between 12 and 20 hours. And there's some really cool tests that you can do at home. Basically, you can put two tablespoons of sesame seeds into a glass of water, drink it and set a timer and time from when you first see it in your stool to when you last see it. Right. Um, <laughs> it can be a really good way for someone to get an idea of what their transit time is. Um, mm. So that's why I think you should be having a bowel motion every single day because it falls within that 20 bracket. Um, along with that, ideally, it feels complete and easy. So if you're having to sit there for a long time and it feels uncomfortable or you're straining, 
that would indicate that there's a problem as well. And similarly, if it's too loose or happening too regularly, um, it can indicate that things are moving through your digestive tract too quickly. And that can then cause problems with adequate nutrient absorption. Um, so what I'd look out for is daily bowel motions, easy to pass, feeling complete, and trying that test at home, that bowel transit test. So gut health overall, one of the biggest things that we always hear about is bloating. So everyone, and I think it's one of those generalised symptoms that a lot of people experience. So can you break down what is bloating for us and what are some of the causes behind it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would be a very rich woman if I had a dollar for every time someone came to me with bloating. Um, but it's basically, we bloat when gas is created in the stomach and it's not released properly. So it's either an over-fermentation or a hypersensitivity in the digestive tract, um, but in some ways an overproduction of gas that the body can't handle. Then the result is often discomfort, bloating and distension. So a big thing is you want to try and release gas where possible when this situation is occurring for you. Um, but there's some, I, I generally break it down into five common areas that contribute to bloating. Number one is, is constipation. So again, if food is moving through the digestive tract too slowly, it ferments longer than it should. And this can result in excess gas production and for some people, bloating. Um, and so a common thing here is people eating too many cold or raw foods that can really slow everything down and um, aggravate constipation or bloating for people. We've also got gas producing foods and liquids. So there are some foods that will naturally produce more gas than others. Some of these are man-made, things like carbonated drinks, sugar alcohols, um, they will create more gas in the system. Some of them are really good for us. Things like broccoli, cauliflower, lentils, garlic, onion, they all produce gas. So it's sort of about trying to pinpoint which one's the problem child for you. Um, and if it's something like broccoli, trying to understand what part of the digestive system isn't working properly, that you're not breaking down that food correctly. Stress is huge. That can contribute to bloating for people. Um, and then we delve into things like food allergies, malabsorption, like fructose or lactose malabsorption, and food intolerances. And all of those generally need to be treated in a different way because some of them are immune mediated. For example, if someone's allergic to gluten or has celiac disease and is bloated because of that, that is treated far differently than if someone is just sensitive to gluten um, or something like that. And then the last one is dysbiosis or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So this is where there's an imbalance of bacteria either in the large intestine or the small intestine, and this can really contribute to bloating for people. So all of these areas basically give us a clue. Um, so when someone is feeling bloated, you look to a, 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 a number of clues that will tell you why they're bloated. So they're generally the big five. So you talk about food intolerances versus food sensitivities. And I do feel like this is a bit of a, a grey area for a lot of people that they don't understand mm. the difference between an intolerance and a sensitivity. And so sometimes, obviously, people 
will, you know, totally go lactose free, for example, or totally go, you know, gluten free. Yeah. So what is the the differences and how do people actually identify that they're intolerant versus sensitive? Yeah, that's such a great question. And you're right, it's a big area and people are cutting out a lot of food unnecessarily. Mm. I generally say a, a food sensitivity tells it's the messenger. It tells us that there's an issue with the digestive process, not that, that the person specifically needs to avoid that food forever. And what I mean, for example, if someone has um, increased intestinal permeability, so issues with their gut lining, it enables food particles out into the bloodstream and the immune system triggers a response. So that could be happening just because you're eating a whole lot of eggs doesn't mean you're intolerant to eggs. It means you're having a sensitivity to them because your gut lining is not functioning as it should be. Mm. So that is where it's not the egg's fault, it's the gut's fault. So we need to fix that, then reintroduce the food. Whereas if someone, for example, has lactose malabsorption, um, this is where they're just not making the enzyme to break down lactose effectively. Um, so that is generally a genetic issue. They can always probably tolerate a small amount of um, lactose or they'll need to take a lactase enzyme to help them break down any dairy that they want to eat. So if that is the case, people can find that out often via a breath test. Um, but if that's the case, those people are, are best off avoiding that food or eating it to within their tolerance. Because the more we allow the gut to get upset after eating the wrong food, the worse the problem can become. Does that answer your question, Clara? Yeah, it does. And I think that's one of the points that um, I think people just don't understand. And as you said, I see more and more of, um, you know, friends, but also within our community saying, I'm gluten-free, I'm dairy-free, I'm this, I'm that. And it seems like you know, you go to dinner with a group, we always laugh about this, you go to dinner with a group of eight girlfriends and everyone at the table has a different thing they can't eat. You go to a group with, dinner with a group of eight guys and everyone's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> like, yes, yes. Um, and I think that's becoming more and more apparent and it's something where you don't know whether it's an environmental factor or, as mm. you said, there's a bit of a mis noma around what is a sensitivity and how to fix a sensitivity versus how to fix an actually intolerant. Definitely. And gluten's such a tricky one, but I do think it's really gotten a bad rap for a number of years unnecessarily. Like celiac disease is a very real um, condition. People need to avoid gluten for life if that's them. If you have mm. any inkling that you might have celiac disease, you must get tested before you start eliminating gluten. And then there is non-specific gluten sensitivity Um, so that's where they put they sort of categorize anyone that doesn't have celiac disease doesn't have a specific wheat allergy into that group there's a lot of people that just have started avoiding gluten because they've been told to or they think they feel better off of it but I don't often think it's the gluten I think it's the change in the quality of foods that they're eating Um, you know, when, when people go on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet, they stop eating a lot of stuff in packets. Um, but I, I think there's a big, big issue with a lot of gluten-free products. So not to confuse people, but I think it always comes back to whole foods as much as mm. possible. 
as opposed to avoiding gluten dairy. I, I think it's become a big trend. It's like the low fat of the mm. 80s or the candida diet. You know, everyone's now mm. going gluten-free, dairy-free. And there's, there's no real research and evidence around gluten being problematic for everybody. It's like um, no carbs as well. So sometimes when I post a recipe on our socials and they see a potato, they're like, no, you can't have potato. I'm like, yes, you can. Like carbs yeah. aren't a bad thing. We need to not have a stigma around it. A hundred percent. But people say that, but they forget that carbs are in all vegetables, you know. <laughs> so, you know, they're demonising a slice of sourdough. Um, but they're having a plate full of veg, it, it, they're all carbohydrates. The body is mm. processing it all in a similar fashion. Um, so I think this restrictive mindset is something that I always really encourage people to avoid. Um, it's about whole food. Mm, absolutely. And then beyond bloating, how does the, our health of our gut impact other areas of our body? Basically, we need to think of our digestion as a channel of elimination. So it eliminates waste basically. And if that's not working effectively, the body finds other ways to clear waste. And one of those ways is through the skin. Um, so people can get things like acne and eczema when their digestion isn't working properly. So that's one way. Immunity is a huge one as well. So our gut also controls and manages our immune system. So if there's digestive issues, people can develop constant illness or immune-driven conditions such as psoriasis and rosacea or other autoimmune conditions. So the gut and immunity are really closely linked. It impacts our hormones. Um, so not only things like our appetite hormones, but also our sex hormones, we clear estrogen through the gut. So if we're not clearing our estrogen effectively, we can develop a hormone imbalance and symptoms resulting from that. Nutrient deficiencies, if our gut isn't working properly, we're not absorbing things correctly. So we can get things like iron deficiency, B12 deficiency, and a whole host of other nutrient deficiencies. Appetite and weight is a big one as well. I often see people come to me and they're like, oh, I just want to lose five kilo, but I've got all of these digestive symptoms. I'm like, if we just fix that, the five kilo is going to drop off. But part of the reason is that our appetite is influenced by the bacteria that we have in our gut. So some bacteria really cry out and crave certain foods, and that can influence people's perceived control around their appetite. But I always say to people, if we fix your gut health, we will regulate your appetite and then your weight will generally um, fall within a natural realm. Um, so there's some of the big ones. Oh, I suppose stress and anxiety as well. That's another huge one that's influenced by the gut. Pregnancy seems to be one of those areas, um, or even conceive, seems to be one of those areas where, you know, it's really important I guess to get all your levels optimal because when you go into pregnancy um, it can obviously affect your pregnancy it can help your mm. pregnancy and it can help the fetus so mm. how do you go about looking at all of this holistically and going what do I need how do I get my body to a really good level so that you know I am I'm I'm ready I'm fit my body is you know doing what it's supposed to be doing yeah, absolutely. Well, they, they say always three months or 100 days 
um, to prepare the body for pregnancy in terms of men and women. And that's how long it's taking the sperm to travel and the eggs to get ready. So I say to clients at that point, or a little bit even before that three month mark, let's get baseline bloods done, having a look at some Mm. of those key elements around thyroid, iron, B12, how your kidney and liver are functioning, iodine levels, and whether you're covered for your baseline immunization, such as rubella, um, Mm. et cetera. And then based on those results, we'll implement a, a protocol and pregnancy well, preconception, I'm sorry, is one of those areas where I will encourage um, women to, to take a preconception supplement protocol at the same time as eating as though they are pregnant for those three months. And by that, I would suggest low alcohol, plenty of fiber, lots of oily fish, really like a Mediterranean style diet mm. um, has pretty great research for supporting people in that preconception phase. Um, And then through pregnancy, it's a similar sort of concept. What can happen through pregnancy is our hormones can change our digestion. So constipation and reflux are pretty common um, at this stage. So there's some beautiful probiotic strains that can help. But again, getting fibre hydration levels right can be really helpful as well for people. And then you mentioned (laughs) lifestyle factors throughout this conversation like drinking and stress but what are they actually doing to our gut Mm. and how is there a way that we can reverse it yeah I think that's the the wonderful thing about gut health is so much can be reversed and fixed and improved often when I work with clients and we talk through a gut test they're like oh is it fixable and and always my answer is absolutely um when it comes to stress there's four big ways that it impacts the gut and i'll talk those through briefly if we've got time but mm-hmm. number one i think we need to think about what stress is so the body naturally thinks that we're in danger and it's trying to save our life when it's trying to save our life digestion is low priority so effectively our digestion gets switched off so if you think of the saying um fight and flight or rest and digest we need to be calm when we're eating and that enables us to promote adequate create adequate hydrochloric acid and digestive secretions to break the food down. So if we're trying to eat when we're super stressed, we probably haven't broken our food down effectively and it's likely that we'll feel bloated or uncomfortable afterwards. But stress can also change bacteria in the gut. So it can influence, um, as said, hydrochloric acid levels. And we basically want hydrochloric acid to be created. We want the stomach to be acidic and the digestive tract to be acidic because this keeps opportunistic bacteria at bay. So if we're not keeping this environment acidic enough, we can get an overgrowth of the wrong types of bacteria. Um, So that's a really, really real issue as well. And then it also can cause um, inflammation on the intestinal lining. Um, is a a third way that it impacts the gut. And then lastly, some people can develop what's called visceral hypersensitivity. So this is one more for my irritable bowel people. Um, They naturally tend to have a more sensitive area in the gut than others. So for example, what that means if they've done studies where they've basically um, simulated bloating to quite small degrees in someone with visceral hypersensitivity, and they feel incredibly bloated. So it's just meaning they're more sensitive 
to those types of um, symptoms in the body. And stress can impact that as well. So they're the big four for stress. Alcohol is also a huge problem. And I don't want to seem preachy here because I'm certainly partial to a, a glass of wine myself. But I think Thanks. our culture, yeah, our culture of binge drinking being mm. acceptable um, is probably doing more damage to our health than we realise. Um, so alcohol also promotes inflammation on the intestinal lining. Um, and this is a big problem um, because by doing that, it can then influence the gut bacteria that reside within the gut. But also think of all the people who are hungover, what they're eating the next day. Um, that's another problem as well. That influences the gut. Or at 3 o'clock in the morning when they're on the way home. Uh, yeah, getting that kebab. Exactly. Yeah, there's pretty low nutrient benefit in a kebab in terms of gut health. So, Although the garlic, maybe. Yeah, maybe if you get some garlic sauce on there. Absolutely. So we need to think that alcohol is a toxin and so it's in, impacting the gut. But the biggest there is is inflammation and changes in the microbiome balance. So the microbiome is basically all of the bacteria and organisms that live within the intestine. So how do you reverse it? If you've been binge drinking and partying and you just need to like detox from it and heal your gut, what are your top tips? It would depend on the person's symptoms, but if they feel otherwise well but they just want to improve their gut health, you can look in and see what bacteria you have, so whether you have an overgrowth of opportunistic bacteria or simply a deficiency of beneficial bacteria. There's some really cool microbiome tests that are around. Um, but if you don't want to spend that money, you can simply treat as if. And by that, I just mean work to improve your gut health. So incorporating um, gut healing foods, so things like bone broth, warm cooked foods over raw, um, foods that contain zinc, vitamin A and glutamine are really effective for healing the intestinal lining. And then you can just try and promote beneficial bacteria. So bacteria feed on um, undigestible food particles. So these are commonly called prebiotics. Prebiotics basically fuel our beneficial bacteria and they need this job to do. Um, they need to ferment things down, otherwise they'll start to die off and will lose species. So if you want to protect the gut after a, a bout of drinking, gut healing, but then also prebiotic foods. So that's things like your garlic, onion, leeks, asparagus, legumes, uh, whole grains, nuts and seeds. They all feed different bacteria and you can try and make your microbiome really robust. The last thing would obviously be a bit of liver support. Um, if you've been drinking heavily, the liver and the gut are really closely connected. Um, the liver helps to create bile and this process is necessary to help us break down our fats effectively. So what you'd want to do would be some liver support as well. And that's obviously avoiding alcohol, avoiding anything that's a strain on the liver. And that includes things like smoking, vaping, excess chemicals, um, including things like, you know, typical deodorants, etc. Um, pairing away from that and then incorporating liver protecting foods. So sprouts are really amazing for that. Things like spirulina and corella. I uh, can't pronounce that word properly in the moment. 
um, are really effective too, but also your brassica family. So cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, any of those foods are really fabulous for liver health. We always talk about in I Quit Sugar World that our, we eating like our grandparents ate. So taking it back to the basics, having whole foods, really good proteins, healthy fats, which again, you know, we were talking about earlier in this podcast that gluten got a bad rep. You know, fat has gone through that revolution as well. Um, but eating really good, healthy fats and then just eating, you know, a rainbow. So eating really good nutrients, you know, adding legumes, adding seeds, adding um, nuts, et cetera, to your diet. Mm. And yet I feel like there's we're a generation that because processed food has become so readily available that has almost missed a lot of those groundworks and foundations and I know at home we ate very well but then takeaway has become more and more apparent Mm. and I think as we've grown up you know in your 20s you know living on ramen two-minute noodles and stuff at university and all of that kind of thing has come into play and I do feel like there's you know there is a whole generation there that really need to work on their gut and now that I, you know, I've become a mum and I've only just found out how important it was to get my gut microbiome ready preconception because that carries on to the child. So, yeah, yeah, I do feel like there's almost work out there to be done to say to people, you know, this is actually something we, everyone should be going and seeing, just like you go and see a regular GP as a checkup, everyone should be going and seeing a naturopath and getting, you know, their work done and working on their gut as just overall health for future. It's very difficult because people are like the world is getting more and more fast paced and Mm. we're constantly adapting and evolving. So we're creating all of these, you know, new foods and um, convenience foods and the gut hasn't caught up yet. We Mm. are not designed to change that quickly in terms of how we're digesting things. So that definitely is a problem. But I think for sure everyone would benefit from focusing on their health a little bit. I, I, I love seeing health become more mainstream in terms of education at school. Mm. I think that it's really important because despite having a wonderful upbringing myself, you know, I had a really wholesome childhood. I Mm. I just wasn't ever specifically taught. I was shown as a kid, but I wasn't taught in my latter years how I should eat and, you know, what a plate should look like and all of these things. And what Mm. is a processed food versus an ultra processed food? Um, and what is alcohol doing to the gut? You know, none of these things are really that commonplace or they weren't when I was growing up. And I think not to ramble or get too confusing, but mm. we're, we're almost going the other way now is there's so much information. People don't know where to look mm. and they don't know whom to trust and they're getting conflicting information from everybody. And a lot of it is very extreme because... If you're saying something polarizing, people will listen, but I don't know if it's always correct information. It's just drawing attention. Yeah. So it's a confusing world out there. But yes, I, I say find someone that you trust and who is saying something that resonates with you. Yeah. And absolutely, like even just have one or two sessions to get a better understanding of your health, how you can improve it, whether there's anything there that might be not functioning as it should be. 
um, and then go from there. It doesn't have to be a big, long process and it doesn't have to involve super strict or hard to adhere diets. It's really just getting a snapshot of what your health is. Does that answer your question? I think it does. I think it does. And I think that's, that's exactly, I think, where I'm going with it as well. It's get that snapshot. You know, I, I think because of my own health journey and really, you know, struggling the whole time with conventional medicine mm. to get answers and now sitting at 42 diagnosed with, you know, endometriosis and Hashimoto's only within the last six months, mm. <laughs> um, I... I am so passionate about really kind of getting people to be so much more proactive about and really learn to advocate for themselves. We talk about that a lot, really learn to advocate for themselves and, you know, you find answers. So it's exactly what you said, Brooke, find your person that's going to be backing your corner. 100%. Even the links with endometriosis and the gut are pretty amazing, the research that's coming out Mm. and how those two conditions are interlinked. So you're right. I think we just put up with our normal of health for for perhaps a little bit too long. So it can help to have an external view just to explain to you, you know, how you should be feeling, how much energy you should have, Mm. what's happening in your blood results, just those baseline things. Um, yeah, it can be wonderful to have a check-in. Clara and I always talk about knowing your baseline because we were talking the other day about um, hair loss and I was like, mm. how do I know that this amount of hair loss is normal? Because obviously I've dyed my hair yeah. and I don't know anymore and then you go through all your hormones and everything. So finding my baseline for something small like that is really been crucial. It is tricky. And then I suppose on the, on the flip side, you know, we can become a, a culture a little bit too obsessed with, with perfection in terms of our mm. health. So yeah, I would just say find your person that you, you know and trust and, and work with them and try and keep your blinkers on because there's so much confusing information out there. I think it's, yeah, we're, we're drowning in it at the moment. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It has been such a pleasure to dive into all your knowledge around gut health and how it's linked to every area of the body. And for anyone who wants to learn a little bit more, you can join Brooke in our Beat the Bloat eight-week program, or I'll put links to her website and Instagram in the show notes below. Like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.